Good morning, church. Uh, great to be with you again, and we do pray that uh, this morning finds everybody well, and uh, just uh, ready to hear God's word this morning. And uh, I know everybody's praying and wondering when uh, we might reopen. We are currently um, praying, and we're seeking wisdom. We're seeking legal counsel, and um, there's a lot of variables. Uh, in the decision to open the church again. The risks, the consequences, um, the policies, all that we have to do. So uh, we're looking at those right now, and hopefully um, probably at the end of the month uh, uh, we'll let you know. And uh, we just ask that you continue to pray uh, for wisdom and for guidance, all right? Let's open with prayer this morning. Father, we look to you now, and, and God, we thank you. For your word, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your abundant grace. We thank you for your enduring mercy. And God, we do pray that you give us wisdom. You give us discernment, God, and on when to open your church. And Father, that uh, again, we wouldn't do it because um, a bunch of uh, churches are doing it. Uh, we're not going to do it because it's uh, the happening thing. We're not going to do it because man in, uh, tells us to. Uh, but, Lord, that your spirit would lead and guide. And we take all things into account, God, because it's your church. God, we want to be a witness uh, to the people around us, uh, to our uh, to our city, to our, our government, God. Um, and yet we want to follow what your word says, God. So uh, help us to do that, Father. And Lord, we pray that you would bless our time and our message this morning. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. The message this morning is the lost soul. The lost soul. It could be the lost man. It could be uh, the lost son. Uh, however you want to call it. But the, the emphasis is on lost. The person that does not know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And so uh, the parable this morning, <clears throat> I'm sorry, our message this morning is the parable of the prodigal son. Now, these parables help us to understand something of what it means to be lost. And for starters, it means being out of place. Lost sinners belong in fellowship with God. God created us to have fellowship with him. But to be lost also means out of service. A lost sinner can experience the enriching uh, fulfillment that God has for them in Jesus Christ. The parable this morning, like I said, is about the prodigal son. Now, the word prodigal means wasted. The wasted son, the careless son, the, the, the lost son. But it also shows us the graciousness of the loving father. And it does more so than the sinfulness of the son. Unlike the shepherd and the woman in the previous parables before the prodigal son, we don't see the father that went looking uh, for them. We see the father looking for the son. But you see, the son had to have good memories about his life at home and his father's goodness. And you see, that's what brought him to repentance and forgiveness and, you know, caused him to go back home. After telling the parable about the shepherd and the woman in the previous verses, Jesus said this in chapter 15, verses 11 and 12. A certain man had two sons, 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the father divided to them his livelihood. So the parable starts out with this terrible request by the son, the younger son. He demanded to get his father the the inheritance that he has coming to him. Now, again, this starts with the request of the youngest of the two sons, okay, uh, the request of a wealthy man, his father. Now, this whole situation, that is what the prodigal uh, was, was demanding, was wrong. The youngest son here was wrong in what he was asking for. But it was made even worse because it was the younger son of the two sons making the demand, showing his lack of respect for the father's position, his authority, and his grace. The son demanded, I want my share of your estate before you die. You see, it was all about himself. It was a me first attitude. And that's what the flesh is. The flesh is all about a me first attitude. The problems of making self more important than anybody else nearly destroyed this lost son. As well as we're going to see as we go on. And then in the parable, Jesus goes on to say in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wasted, careless living. The reason that the younger son demanded his inheritance now was to go out and to live in the world. To live the party life, if you will. The so-called good times. You know, he was tired of living at home under his father's roof, under his father's rule. You know, it was born. He wanted to be out on his own. He wanted to experience life as many young people do. He wanted the inheritance so that he could go out and do just that. So that he could go out and enjoy the carnal and evil pleasures of the world. And demanding his rightful share of the influence before his parents died is a really, it's really a very sad thing. Because, you know, what he's really saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. And he looks at his inheritance as debts and rights that he deserves. Lord, uh, Father, you owe me. I deserve it. And the lost son couldn't wait for the right time to get his father's inheritance. But that's the way our flesh is, isn't it? It wants its own way. It wants to do its own thing. And it wants it now, and it doesn't care what it has to do to get it. This is the way of the flesh. This is the way of the natural man apart from God. It's all about what I want. It doesn't matter what anybody else wants or how I affect anybody else. And our flesh, our nature has no patience. It has no limits to its depravity. It wants fulfillment of earthly pleasures, and it wants it now, not later. These are the kinds of people who who, who don't want to wait to get married before they have sex. They don't want to work for their money. It's all about now. One of the devil's favorite tactics is shortcuts. And the devil has many shortcuts. You know what? And they all look good to the eye. But understand, they're all deceiving, they're deadly, and they will destroy you. Satan even tried Jesus to take a shortcut to get around going to the cross. Listen to what he said to Jesus in Matthew 4, 8, and 9. 
The devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things, notice, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He's saying, Jesus, why go to the cross? Why go through all that pain and suffering when you could have all of these things now? That's all, you know, it's easy. All you got to do is fall down and worship me. So the father gave the younger son what he wanted. Sometimes God does that. He lets us have our destructive way just so that he can uh, teach us some important lessons. So verse 12 says that the father agreed to give both of his sons their inheritance. The father gave the inheritance to both his sons at the same time. And this was the right thing to do. The Jewish custom was the oldest son would receive two parts, while the other sons would receive one part of the inheritance. The more sons, the smaller the parts. But the oldest son always got two parts. Here, the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, while the, while, um, you know, the, the, the youngest one would get one. Um, uh, Yeah, the youngest would get one and the oldest would get, uh, I'm sorry, again, the oldest would get two parts and the youngest one would get um, one third. The context suggests that the father was a well-to-do man. So the inheritance would be a generous one. And so it says that the father gives him his inheritance and the son packs up his stuff and he goes out to a far country. Now, this far country was far from the father And it was far from godliness. In the far country, it speaks of places where evil is abundant. Where people are ungodly and evil practices are encouraged and accepted. Our land, our nation is a pretty good example of a far country. And then in verse 13, it says a few days later, he packed his belongings, moved to the far country, where he wasted all of his money, notice, in wild living. There are many lost sons today in this world. And they're out there living like this lost soul in our story this morning. And that, and that, that they run to do evil. But you know what? They, they, they crawl to do righteousness. Proverbs 8.16 says one of the things that God hates is a heart that plots evil. Feet that race to do wrong. The lost son's lifestyle was very corrupted. His lifestyle was both wicked and wasteful. And verses 13 and 30 tell us that he wasted his possessions with wasted living. He devoured, the the other son says, he devoured your livelihood with harlots. We learn from from what the older son said that some of the wasteful living included the wicked behavior of sex with prostitutes. Wine, women, and partying is the typical lifestyle of the wicked world. Immorality is wicked. It's wasteful and it destroys. But it's the way of life of our land, which explains many of the problems that we have in our nation today. Wasteful, careless living. Obviously, is not careful living. The word translated wasted in verse 13 means to scatter abroad. It means to squander. A holy way of living isn't known to the world, even though holy living is all around them, or the evidence of holy living is all around them. Through social media, the gospel is preached. Through the internet, through TV, through radio, there are churches. 
So holy living is, is all around them. Holy living doesn't make you poor, but sinful living does. And again, that's what happened to this lost soul, this lost son. A lot of people are on welfare today. A lot of people are homeless today. And, and, and they're there because of unholy living. Not all of them, but a lot of them are there because of unholy living due to poor choices. You know, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, immorality, and other evils. And if the government wants to improve, you know, the character of the land, it needs to improve the character of the people. Look at verses 14 through 17 now. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Just speaking of the far country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he who would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Well, he found that living it up, you know, out in the far country, Living in sin, it started to take its toll, and it will. You know, living in sin might not take its toll right away. But the longer you live in sin and ungodliness and unrighteousness, sooner or later it's going to start taking its toll. And it's going to start ripping you off. And that's what unholy living does. It leads to degraded living that leads to poverty and hardship. Sin is a terrible taskmaster. And we just mentioned the wasteful lifestyle of the prodigal son. Now we see the consequences of this kind of living. Not only to the prodigal son, but for all who live in this way. We read now that he was empty. He had nothing to show for the inheritance that he received. Verse 14 says he had spent all and he began to be in want. That means he was lacking the necessities in life. Now he's hurting. The wicked living of the lost son had drained his finances. It has em- it emptied his pockets. Not only emptied his pockets, but also left him with an empty stomach, with an empty heart, and also empty character. Now he was in danger. Because 14 says, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. Now what's he going to do? Famines are especially dangerous to the poor who don't have the means to take care of themselves. So the lost son and the lost son's life was in danger because of the famine. He had no more money in his pockets. They were empty. His stomach was empty. His heart was empty. The famine came right after the lost son had spent all that he had had. I mean, it couldn't have been a worse time for the prodigal son. And Satan knows that. Satan knows when and how to come in and take advantage of you. The land that the careless son thought was so inviting and was going to be so much fun and that he was going to enjoy life. And that it was so full of everything that he thought he needed. It turned out to be very harmful and very distressing to him. He was in bondage now. 
Verse 15 says he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, the word join shows that the prodigal was a common slave. You know, his job was 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 a humiliating job. It was a shameful job taking care of pigs. A dirty, smelly job that the Jews hated so much. Look what Jesus said in verse 16 and 17. He would, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But he came to himself, that is, he came to his senses, and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He was starving. He, he says, you know, he says, he says, you know, I, I, I've come to my senses and I realize that, that, you know, how good even the hired servants had it back at home. They had, a bre- they had bread enough to spare. And here I am. I'm starving to death. And a lot of the hunger that we see in the world also has a lot to do with, with wicked lifestyles more than anything else. This lost son, this lost man was so hungry. He was eating the pods that were usually fed to pigs. Because he says, I perish with hunger. And if he doesn't get something to eat, he's going to die. Once again, because of his wicked living, his wasteful, careless living, he created created his own mess. He has nobody to blame but himself. And it's interesting how many times when you see somebody in the world that doesn't know Christ... And they're in this situation. They're in a mess. You know, they're hurting. They're hungry. They're, they're poor. They're in poverty. How much, how often they blame God. Rather than recognizing, you know, I made some pretty bad choices in my life. And that, that's what got me here. I've created my own mess. Now, it said that, you know what, when he was hungry, he said, no one gave me anything. Where's all of his buddies now? Where's all of those that he went out and partied with? And many times, you know, you can go back to the old days and and kind of relate to the same thing. When you were down and out, hey, they weren't around to help you. Nobody was there to help him. Nobody gave him anything. They weren't interested in him anymore. He'd spent all of his money on them. They had a good time. But the good times are over now. And it's time to pay the bill. The hardship of this lost son was emphasized and made even worse by the fact nobody showed they cared for him. Nobody was concerned about him. This lost soul suddenly realizing, I'm really in a jam. I'm really in a bad way. And his problems finally got to him. And, and, and his problems caused him to start thinking and thinking seriously. Now, what am I going to do? You know, and understand, Satan hates thinking people. That's why God said in Isaiah 1, 18 and 19, he said, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, notice you shall eat the good of the land. 
But we have to reason with God. We have to listen to what he says. We have to look at who we are and who God is. We have to compare our living with what God wants to give us. And if you're truly a thinker, man, you have to come to the place where you believe in God. God's given us a brain so that we can reason, think things out. But understand that Satan will do everything that he can, and he does everything that he can to keep sinners from thinking about their situation. To keep them from recognizing their own stupidity. Verse 17 says, When he finally came to his senses, which shows the insanity and the foolish thinking that he was of his evil. And we have to remember, sin clouds our vision, sin clouds our judgment, and sin turns our brain to mush when it comes to the important things in life. As he was thinking now back where he was when he was at home versus where he's at now, he's going, man, at my father's house, the servants had bread to spare. And here I am. I'm starving to death. You see, he was starting to think about the good things. About how good things were back at home at the father's house. Which he had despised earlier. He's just, you know, remember dad, I, I want out of here and, and give me my inheritance. But now he's beginning to see, you know what? I had it good at home. The father took good care. My father took good care of me. When the desire to sin takes hold of one's soul, it distorts or destroys reality and our perspective. And when sin has finally grabbed a hold of one's soul, it distorts and it destroys everything. It leaves the sinner empty, destitute, lonely, and that's when the sinner realizes the foolishness and the loss they've, in, they, they've incurred. And the lost son here, he realizes that the palace that he despised was the best place to be. And the place that he was now in, that is the place that he desired, was the worst place to be. You see, that's what Satan does. He lies to you. You know, the good places is, oh man, there's more fun over there. It's better over there. You're going to have a better time, a better life over there. But he never tells you the cost or the consequences. And so what the Lord does here, he uses the, 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 the younger son's empty stomach to get the lost son's attention. So that he would start seriously thinking about what a fool I've been. And to get him to repent and to turn away from his sin. And you see, God will often allow the rebellious person to experience a lot of suffering. And because of these sufferings, he uses it to turn the rebellious person back and to get him back on the right path. And then in verse 18, the, the, young, the, the lost soul acknowledged his sin. He says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. His remembering resulted in his repentance. He began to reason. And that's what God said. Come, let us reason together. So he began to reason. He begins to see that his sin, though against his father, was first against God. 
And then he humbled himself in verse 19. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He recognized the way that he behaved was totally wrong. And real repentance takes a humble position and it, and it, and it asks for mercy, not rights or merit. He said, he, he, he said he's, he'll, just, he'll be happy just that his father would take him on as a hired servant. Lord, I'm not asking for any, uh, Father, I'm not asking for anything special. I know I don't deserve anything. I'm not demanding my rights. Hey, just take me on as a hired servant. Now, this didn't mean that he was going to try to work to be accepted in the home. It only meant that he was willing to work for the benefit of his father from now on. He said, I will go home to my father. So he came to a good conclusion in his thinking by deciding to go home. He made a good choice. See, again, the choices that we make make a huge outcome in our situations and circumstances. So now he makes a good choice. He, got, he says, I'm going back home. And the lost son has learned that he can't trust sin, but he can trust his father. The lost son has big problems. The lost sons in this world, the lost men in this world, lost women in this world, all of them, they have big problems. The biggest one is, you know, they're headed towards hell if they don't repent, they don't turn around, if they don't humble themselves. He's gone other places for help, this young soul, this lost soul, but he couldn't find any. And now he decides to go to his father where he'll find real help. What's important for real change is going to the right place. A lot of people need change in their life. They want change in their life, but they'll go everywhere but God. They'll go to everyone but God. The world can't help with what our soul needs. But God the Father can through Jesus Christ. And he will help us. Verses 20 through 22, Jesus goes on to say, and he arose, that is the oldest son, the son that was lost. He arose and he came to his father. I'm sorry, that was the youngest son. who came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. So when the when the boy came home, he was delivered from his poverty. He was delivered from his hunger. But none of this could have happened without him choosing to go home first. As soon as the lost son decided to go home, as soon as he made that choice, notice he went home and things got better. He didn't wait for things to get better before he went home. He came in humility. He came just as he was. That's the way you have to come home to Je- you have to come to Jesus for salvation. Verse 20 says when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion those and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and the father here represents our heavenly father. The father saw him and he ran to him. You see, the father sees you in your lost condition. He sees you in your hunger. He sees you in your emptiness. He sees you in the ruin of your life. And look at the beautiful picture here. It says the father ran to him. 
The father didn't wait for the son to get home. But the father ran to, to meet him. You know, this is the only time in Scripture that we read that the father ever ran. But he ran to the lost man. And the father will run to you the moment you say, Father, I messed up. I confessed I'm a sinner. The father embraced him, it says, and fell on his neck. Think of it now. What did he do before all this? He was feeding pigs. The son was probably filthy. And he probably stunk like a smelly pig. Because he worked in a pig pen. But notice the father still hugged him. Why? Because the father's compassion for sinners is not based on our attractiveness, but on the father's heart. And many times, you know, we think we got to clean up our act. We got to look good. We got to smell good. We got to be good. And then I can come to the father. No, this shows us here. To come as you are. And when you come to Jesus as you are, he will make the difference. He will begin the cleanup job. But he'll start from the inside and it'll work its way to the outside. The father kissed him and he hugged him. Now, according to Trench in the East, Trench being a a Bible commentator, according to Trench in the East, the kiss is well understood as a pledge of reconciliation and peace. So it was a sign that the father was at peace with him. The son confesses again, verse 21, Father, I have sinned. And he receives much blessing for going back home. He received gifts from the father. Look at verses 22 through 32. Jesus says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the, la- bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and now is found. The first gift the father gives him was a robe. Verse 22, he gave him the best robe. This represented the position that he now had. The father gave the son the position of a dearly loved son, not a slave. Then he received a ring. The ring gave him authority, another sign that his position wasn't of a slave. Or a servant, but a, a dearly beloved, a dearly loved son. Then he received shoes. They were really sandals. Slaves didn't wear shoes. So again, the son is informed that his position is that of a son, not a servant. When the lost son got home, there was a great joy. He said, because my son was dead and he's alive again, he was lost and he's found. 
So he says, hey, bring the fatted calf here. Let's kill it and let's eat. The lost son comes back from the far country where there was a famine in the land where he found everything now at home where he needed. When he had gone to the far country and thought everything that he needed was there to have a good life, he found out it was empty. Now he comes home and finds everything that he needs. It's the same with salvation. It's the same when you come to Jesus Christ. It brings us, salvation brings us the greatest blessings in life. And the Father, Jesus said here, they began to be merry. He said there was music and dancing. Now the dancing, you know, you know a lot of times, you know, when people talk about dancing, they, you know, they'll use this scripture, you know, they were dancing. Understand that the dancing that was done here, they used to join hands and they'd skip around in a circle in joy over, in this particular instance, the, sons, or the lost son's return. Everybody was rejoicing. Everybody was enjoying the celebration except for the oldest son. He was out in the field. He was working. Not being at the celebration, you know, that didn't speak very well of the oldest son. And even though he asked a servant later on about what was going on, he knew something was going on at the house. But he didn't want to go there because he had a bad attitude about all of this. He had a bad attitude towards the, his brother. He had a bad attitude toward the servants. And, and others would be, you know, would be at odds with them or, 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 or he would have a sour attitude with them. He obviously didn't rejoice in his lost brother's homecoming. He didn't have any forgiveness in his heart for him. Verse 26 says, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. You know, he saw the partying and the good times. And what is this all about? Because the older son had to ask a servant what was going on. It showed a problem between the servants and the older son. You see, the servants knew about the celebration, but it seems like it seems that they didn't tell the older son what was going on. They didn't tell him about it. And that's because the older son was hard to get along with and the servants avoided him. They avoided telling him anything that they knew might upset him because his attitude was not friendly at all. And so he was told in verses 27 and 28, your brother is back. Your father has killed a fatted calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. But the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in and celebrate. His father came out and begged him. His bad attitude was the result of years of foolishness that he had seen by his younger brother and by his attitude at home, that is the younger son, his attitude at home before he left home. You know, it's like that, that child that, that does well in the house and, and he's being good and, and he sees the, 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 maybe the, the younger brother or sister, you know, they're, they're, they've got a bad attitude. They're not, they're not nice at home and, and they, don't, they don't appreciate anything. And, and then they see him, I guess maybe, you know, he feels, they feel that he's getting away with it. And I haven't been recognized for my good behavior. You see, the older brother was mostly concerned about himself here and his reputation. He didn't care about his brother's return. The normal reaction would have been for the older son after he was told about the celebration. Hey, man, let me go get cleaned up. I've been working in the field. Let me, let me come in and join the party. But he, he's, a, he's a, a, a type of, of the enemies of Christ. 
You see, instead of rejoicing over his brother's return and rushing to embrace him and congratulate him, he refused to join the festivities. So the father comes out and he begs them to join the others. Now the father could have come out and just rebuked him, which he did later. But first he tried to appeal to him to come and join in the celebration. And that's what God does first. He wants to love us to Him. He wants to draw us to Him. He wants to woo us to Him to get us to change our behavior. But if it doesn't work, then things might get a little rough. You see, our sour, sour attitude often makes life miserable for other people. The older son began to make excuses and he told his father in verse 29, you know, all these years I have faithfully served you. Notice his pride now is beginning to show. He says, I have not transgressed your commandments at any time. His self-righteous now is showing. But his self-righteousness is, is hypocritical. Because you see, while the older son boasts of not transgressing, when he said, you know, I have not transgressed any of your commandments at any time, though he's saying this, Father, I've never, I haven't transgressed any of your commandments. At the same time, he's refusing the Father's commandment to join in the celebration. He's ungrateful. You never gave me one kid to celebrate with my friends, verse 29 says. And his complaint isn't true. It's totally uncalled for. Because remember, he had received two-thirds of his father's estate. That means he would have received many, which would have included many goats, which he could have celebrated with his friends. He was ungrateful for his inheritance. Everything the older son said was all about him. It was all self-centered. People who are self-centered seldom have a good attitude because it's all about me. And if you don't make me happy and if things don't go well for me, I'm not happy. So again, it was all about him. The father gave the older son a harsh rebuke. But if the older son would have listened and joined the celebration, he wouldn't have, have, he wouldn't have experienced this harsh rebuke. Verse 31, it says, son, you're always with me. Which means all of his needs were met. He's saying, son, what are you complaining about? All that I have is yours. And he says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. But the older son didn't think so. But the father was right. The celebration was over the lost son's return and, they, and it deserved a good time of rejoicing. So verse 32 sums it up. Your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. This reminds the older brother that something great has just taken place. In his brother's return. And he should be celebrating with everybody. And when a sinner comes to Jesus. That's a great event. The, uh, the Bible says that, that the angels rejoice in heaven. When one sinner repents. 
Man, if the angels rejoice, shouldn't we be rejoicing? I mean, when a sinner repents, it's a, it's a far greater event than anything that could ever happen on this earth. And we need to be we need to rejoice in these spiritual victories. So in closing, a lot of people hold grudges for a long time because they won't forgive. And because they won't forgive and because they're holding this grudge, they've separated themselves from those particular people, from family, from friends, from the church. Because they think they're right and everybody else is wrong. They can talk about other people's sins, but they can't see their own. If you can't find it in your heart to forgive, then you better pray that you never sin. Father, we thank you for this great passage, Lord, and probably one of the most well-known passages, Father, that... uh, are in the scriptures. And we do pray for those that may have tuned in and, and are watching that that don't know you, God. And Father, maybe this description, this parable of the lost son describes themselves and they relate to the foolishness of the lost son and the consequences of the poor choices that he made. Maybe they would like to make Christ their, their, their Lord and, and to receive all the things, the good things that God has for them through Christ. And if that's your desire and you feel that you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, then I would ask that you would pray this prayer after me. Pray it with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, Please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, as the lost son confessed to his father, that I have sinned. Cleanse me and wash me of all of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me now to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'd encourage you to, you know, get a Bible if you.